0: Hello, this is Shirin Wellham. I had the pleasure of speaking to Alan Pickering, a long-standing Calibre member, about his biography, Look Where You're Going, by Paddy Briggs. This book is in our library, catalogue number 012999, narrated by John Hobday. Could you tell me a little bit about yourself and your life?
1: I was born in York Mm to uh, parents who were employed in the two biggest industries in York. My father worked for the railway and my mother worked for Roundtree's. And they got married in 1946 and I arrived in 1948. Mm -hmm. And I mentioned that they had worked for Roundtree's and the railways when it came to my time to get a job, they said, we don't mind where you work, so long as the job is pensionable. <laughs> so I worked for the railways, following in father's footsteps, rather than following my mother to round trays. Little did they know that in later life, not only would my jobs be pensionable, but <laughs> they will be about pensions, because I've made a, a living from being involved in pensions, having grown up in York, I was partial to the products of both my father <laughs> and my mother's endeavours. In that, I loved train travel. I was an ardent train spotter, and I also liked the products produced by Roundtrees. So and my mother was <laughs> able to get um, stuff cheap through the staff's staff sales shop. Perhaps a, a rather distasteful memory of my childhood was that on washing day I could tell where my parents were because as soon as their working clothes hit the hot water, I could smell the aroma of chocolate on my mother's clothes and engine smoke on my father's clothes. So uh, we had uh, regular reminders in the house as to uh, where the family earned his money from. <laughs> the railways and round trains.
0: Wonderful, wonderful. And you went on to work for a a union, EETPU?
1: Yes. I, um, like many people with defective vision, my schooling was in institutions and I went to a school in York that was for partially sighted people. And there were 16 of us in a class and our ages varied from 6 to 16 and nobody really held out any prospects of us getting a job. When I came to about 9 or 10, the teacher thought that I was a, a bit brighter than average and thought that I ought to try and get a better education that would lead to a better job. And to get that better education, I had to go to a boarding school in Coventry, again for partially sighted people. My parents thought that they were dodging the column in sending me away to a boarding school, but as a result of that boarding school education, I did get a number of O-levels and A-levels that stood me in good stead for the rest of my life. Because I'd been educated in institutions, I wanted to prove that I was normal. And so I left school at 18 and went to get a job on the railway, again following in father's footsteps. And indeed, although my father wasn't that senior, it was because he was a railway man that I got the job. Because if I hadn't had family connections, my eyesight, or lack of it would have prevented me from working on the railways because even though I only wanted to be a clerk, I had to sit the same eyesight test as would an engine driver. But uh, I got the job on the the railway and they said that you can come and work for us but you'll never get promoted, again, because of my eyesight. And after a couple of years, I thought I want to... Uh, again, have a go at proving that I can achieve what other people can achieve. So I left the railway and went to university in Newcastle as a mature student. Again, my mother wasn't too keen on me moving away from home. She thought that if I went to a university, I'd end up drinking wine and not beer, (laughs) And she thought I might end up reading too many books, but as calibre <laughs> members know you can't read too many books. <laughs> so at the end of my university career again, I had to think what can I do for a living, and I decided to work for the electrical and plumbing trade union, which meant leaving the north and moving down south to live in Bromley. I was particularly attracted by the Electrical and Plumbing Trade Union because they placed a very high emphasis on education. Education not just for young people, but education as a means of lifelong learning, which would itself lead to lifelong earning. And that's something that I practiced for all of my working life. I've always wanted to to learn new things in order to maintain my earning capacity. And again, access to books has been one way in which I've been able to maintain my lifelong learning.
0: So Alan, tell me how important has education been?
1: Education as a means by which I've been able to to demonstrate that I can achieve what other people can achieve who hadn't got the disability that I had. The education route hasn't been a smooth one because when I grew up in York in the 1950s, the educational opportunities weren't that great. And I went to what was called an open-air school where most of the children had physical disabilities but there was one class there for people who were partially sighted. And in one way being in a partially sighted school was good because the teacher was sympathetic and they didn't use the blackboard and I learnt an awful lot what wasn't so good is that it meant that i went to different schools to the other children in my street and children can be quite cruel and because i went to a different school i was different i wouldn't say that i was an untouchable but the fact that that school different that school almost cemented the belief among my young playmates that I was different to them and although that hasn't given me a chip on my shoulder it has in a way tainted my attitude to education in in later life when i outgrew the school in york i got to the age of 11 and it was apparent that staying in that school till I was 16 wouldn't really have helped me fulfil my potential. I went off to Exol Grange School in Coventry, a boarding school, again a specialist school for people with handicaps. I got a wonderful education there but again I was being educated separate to the rest of the community. And I know that even today the debate rages on about whether people with particular challenges should be educated in specialist schools or within specialist units in general schools. I have to say that with hindsight I'm glad that I was able to get that special education that helped me fulfill my potential. I've overcome the stigma, and it was a stigma then, of being in a, a special school. But it'd be really good, I think, if resources permitting, it was possible for people with special needs to have those special needs met within the context of a general school so that able-bodied people got used to mixing with people who were challenged in ways that they weren't. And those people who had an extra challenge could meet that challenge in the context of people who were gifted in ways that those of us who were challenged weren't. Once education comes to an end we want to live in a mixed society and I think on balance my vote would be for schooling to be mixed as well with people with different abilities, different needs, some of which would be special. But however you get your education. I think in today's changing world, education is not a thing that should be synonymous with young people. All of us need education every year of our lives in order to make sure that we can uh, punch our weight and, if possible, earn a living in a world where things are changing more rapidly than ever before. The only way that we can keep pace with those changes is through education, education, education.
0: And um, how did you first come across Calibre Audio Library?
1: I heard reference to it on the BBC In Touch programme. I wasn't a regular listener to In Touch because again I've not got a chip on my shoulder but I wanted to listen to wireless programs that were aimed at the general public rather than a particular segment of the general public i.e. those with a visual impairment but I heard reference to Calibre on an In Touch program and since then I've been there. a convert to uh, carnivore and a very uh, grateful recipient to the service. Books, despite my mother being a bit worried about me going to university, books had always played a large part in my life. I remember that my parents would read children's books to me, Noddy Books and Famous Five books, and then they would read Prisoner of War stories to me, The the Great Escape, The Colditz Story. And then my mother got a bit uncomfortable because I started to ask her to read James Bond books to me. And on some of the pages there was adult language and my mother wondered whether she ought to read that adult language to me. But where my parents helped with reading really scored in that they... uh, Help me plough through books that I needed either at school or at university because although until my early 20s I could read print, I could only read print quite slowly. So to have my parents volunteering to uh, read technical stuff quickly to me was a real godsend. And indeed throughout my life I've been lucky enough to, to work with people Who have helped me with reading and indeed Christine, my wife, helped me with reading at home and Jenny, my best friend with whom I've worked for 31 years now, she's always helped me with reading at work. I think she knows more than I do, she's remembered more than I have but um, The the ability of Christine at home and Jenny to read at work has really helped me maintain my employment longevity for uh, much longer than most visually handicapped people would, would have. And I'm a great believer in work being the great emancipator. If you have a job, you can earn a living. If you earn a living, you can hold your head up high in the pub or the club, and it really has been through uh, reading either. And an audio sense through Calibre, or with the help of friends, reading really has kept me in in contact with, with that wider society.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you. And tell me, what kind of books do you like to borrow from our library?
1: Originally, I used to borrow heavy stuff biographies Winston Churchill Lord Attlee but now I tend to read crime novels I quite like those novels that are set in a particular part of the the country so there are two or three authors who have built on Peter James's Brighton series of novels and have set crime novels in other cities on the south coast. There is um, Mr Rankin, who has written the Rebus books about crime in Edinburgh. And then there are other authors who have written novels about crime in Yorkshire and crime in Derbyshire. And I do read... Some of the American ones, Lee Childs and the Jack Reacher series and books about the American female private eye, Kinsey home. So I like contemporary crime fiction, particularly where there are series set in particular cities where you get to know the city and you get to know the characters.
0: One, that's absolutely wonderful. I and mean, you have such a varied um, background. I he- I read that you were an athlete and sport played a big part in your life as well.
1: A sport has been front and central in my life, both as, a, as an interest and indeed as a participant. Growing up in York, I was very interested in York City Football Club and York Rugby League club and I used to go one week to watch York City play football. I use the term football very loosely. And York Rugby League play rugby league in alternate weeks. I used to go and watch Yorkshire play cricket. And Yorkshire is a a hotbed for horse racing. And I became interested in horse racing at an (laughs) unhealthily early age, really. And I, I led my parents astray and I took them racing rather than me maybe taken racing by them. None of us were heavy gamblers. We'd only have a, a shilling each way or 10 pence each way in, in modern parlance. But uh, it just it wasn't life changing for good or for evil. But it just gave an extra interest when you went racing. Little did I know in my early days that... I would be lucky enough in later life to actually own racehorses. And the racehorses that I own, they've all been named after seaside towns and villages on the North Yorkshire coast. And the best horse I ever owned was one called Robin Hood's Bay, which was named after a village between Whitby and Scarborough. And Robin Hood's Bay Won a very big race on the course at Lingfield Park, which is nearest to where I live now in Bromley in, in South London. So to to win a big race on my local course with a horse named after a Yorkshire beauty spot it don't get much better than that, Sharon.
0: Oh, that's fabulous! I was looking in your book um, at the photographs of you with the horse and how delighted you were to have won the Winter Derby.
1: Yes, I mean, uh, people say that I don't smile very often, but when I do smile, I smile for a long time, and I think that day I, I smiled for twenty-four hours. Unbroken. I almost needed surgery to crack the smile back to normal.
0: (laughs) It's wonderful. You have such amazing supporters and recommenders from what you did with the pensions industry and and the Pickering report.
1: Yes, at one time the government asked me to recommend a way in which the British pension system. Could be simplified because it's a very complex set of arrangements that ordinary people find it difficult to navigate their way through but when alistair darling was secretary of state for work and pensions he asked me to to write a report some of it the government accepted and some of it they didn't and i guess that's the best you can hope for when you write a report for government is that you You win some and you lose some because what seemed technically good good solutions to someone like me always had a, a political downside and it's a brave politician who will make the right choice if making that right choice means that the electorate are not entirely happy because it's much easier for politicians to make popular decisions which they know may be wrong in the long term than, sh- than unpopular decisions that could come right in the long term because those politicians will have sailed off into the sunset long before they the dividend is apparent from the hard choices that they made.
0: And do you believe that Foremost, that um, pensions are an insurance, not just an investment.
1: Yes, at its heart, a pension scheme is intended to provide you with an income for as long as you live. Now, none of us know how long we're going to, to live when you're in your 20s. You think that anybody who's 40 is probably past it. When you get to 40, you think that 60 must be really, really ancient. When you get to 60, you start thinking, well, can I hang on in there to 90? And the aim of a pension scheme is to provide you with an income that lasts as long as you do, provides you with dignity and security in old age. And therefore, I think having a pension is one of the most prized possessions that anybody can own.
0: That's that's amazing, and you must at some point try and explain them to me. <laughs> Having got four hours to spare, <laughs> yes. If I could understand what it means, it would be great. Um, going back to books a little bit, could you just name some of your favourite authors or favourite books?
1: My favourite authors are Peter James, Ian Rankin. Peter Robinson particularly Peter Robinson because he writes books about my my native yorkshire so it is that genre of um, modern crime i don't like humorous books i don't like mm-hmm. horror books i like it to be to be told as it is and one of the the real advantages of listening to books from caneba is that the books aren't just read they're acted you feel almost as if you're at the theatre rather than just reading a book and i guess that the people at caneba worked long and hard to match the right voice with the right author because in the early days there were there were occasions when that match wasn't as good as it should have been and sometimes I was disappointed to read a book by one of my favourite authors because it wasn't read in the right way by the right person but these days all the books seem to be read in the right way by the right person and that shows an awful lot of careful forethought by the people in Caliber.
0: Well, thank you. And um, independence and achievement is what you've stated as your maxims in your life. Can you explain a little bit more about that?
1: Yes, independence and achievement are my lifelong goals, but there are occasions when they are mutually incompatible to pursue independence at all costs means that you're not going to achieve what you could. In order to achieve your maximum, you have to um, surrender some of your independence and say help to someone along the way. And the real challenge for someone like me is to determine how to get the right mix between achievement and independence. If I hadn't pursued independence in my early days, I don't think I would have been lucky enough to achieve what I have been able to achieve. But sometimes the independence appeared to be an antisocial characteristic, and I probably failed to make as many friends as might have been the case, had I backed off from the independence a bit. But I think Independence allows you to achieve things and then when you've achieved things you're willing to give up independence because I like to think that when we're born there's a million things that we can do. If we're born with a sight impairment there's only 500,000 things that we can do and that still seems quite a lot of things to go for and in order to maximise the number of things that you can achieve you've got to get that fine balance between aspiration to achieve with the humility of foregoing a bit of independence because if independence becomes the be-all and end-all you're going to be a very lonely person.
0: Thank you. And just so you could tell me, what does cal- the Caliber service mean to you?
1: The Caliber service. I don't think I'm over egging it by saying that Caliber means everything to me, in that I love stories, I love being able to read stories. And I have the advantage of being able to multitask because I can read a book while I'm doing something else, whereas other people have to uh, decide, do I read a book or do I do my chores? I can read a book while I'm doing my chores. And what's particularly helpful to me is that I travel around quite a lot for my job and have long train journeys And to be able to curl up on a train and read a Calibre book means that I'm just like everybody else. And I've always wanted to be just like anybody else. And Calibre has helped me be just like anybody else.
0: Thank you so much, the interview. That's been wonderful. Thank you.